Hello, great to have you here today. Thank you so much for coming to be with us and uh, look forward to um, spending some time together thinking about how God helps us to deal with help, walk alongside, and connect with difficult people. We're going to talk a lot about that, what, God's, what God can do to help us with that. Uh, it's great to be here with you today. We're blessed to um, have God's Spirit in our life through Jesus Christ. The title of the class is The Emmanuel Effect, How to Connect with Difficult People. Uh, I've been in ministry for, oh, by the way, my name is Stephen Tyree. I'm the minister at Tempe Church of Christ in Tempe, Arizona, about uh, five miles from Phoenix and five miles from Scottsdale and right in the middle of the valley. We have a wonderful, beautiful congregation of people, and uh, this is Andrew. He's uh, our youth minister, and this is my wife, Daughtry. She'll be helping me out today. They'll be doing some experiential visual things. I'm a very, I was a youth minister for 13 years and campus minister, so it really helps me to understand and learn by using object lessons and touching and feeling things and experiencing things. So there's going to be people who will hear this audio and they won't see what we're doing. So if I sound like I'm really explaining every little detail of what you're seeing, it's because I'm wanting people out there to visualize that, okay? The Emmanuel Effect is based on the idea that Jesus was born and was given the name, what? Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And I don't know what it's like for other Christians, but for me, when I was a little boy, lived through some trauma, had some really scary experiences as a child, and I would go to bed at night, and I would be confident that God was with me when I slept. I had this connection to God that helped me as a child work through my scary, scary experiences as a young child. And then as I got older, intellectually, I started to read the scriptures, and I, I started reading about this idea of Jesus. Jesus came to earth, and then he died, and then he said, I have to die so I can leave, because when I leave, I'm going to send you what? The helper, the Holy Spirit, right? And so the Emmanuel effect is the idea, this is my little theory, is that when we understand that God is with us, that God is in me, that God is with me, then I can rise above my feelings, my fears, my emotions, my anger, my bitterness, that I have the ability to do that, not because I'm smart enough and, and superhuman enough, but because the superior spirit of God, the divinity of God lives in me and gives me a sense of peace and comfort. And we have to slow down and hear God's voice, hear God's peace. And you've heard people say, well, if you're depressed and you're anxious and you're sad, well, you just need to pray more, right? Well, I believe that that's true to some degree, but the question is, is what is that prayer, right? Do you just intellectually pray? Or is prayer, pray without ceasing, as Paul talks about, is it a matter of actually every day, all the time, constantly saying, God, I don't have this, but you do. God, I don't have this, but you do. God, I am really overwhelmed, but I know you're not. I'm really scared right now, but I know you're not. In other words, prayer needs to not just be something that we do, which is beautiful to go meditate in the woods and sit for an hour in prayer, but sometimes we just need to be praying a little bit all the time. 
kind of always these little pieces of prayer. So this Emmanuel effect is this idea that we need God, and we need to be able to understand that God loved us before we loved God. God loved you before you knew God loved you. God loved you before you knew God loved you. That God wanted to show up in you before you ever acknowledged God in your life. That that's where God was wanting to be for you. So I've got this big, humongous poster because I don't trust technology. And I was, I was confident that if I got here with my memory stick, that nothing would work. Now, where would I get that from? You, that's never happened at your church, right? And so I thought, well, I'll just bring a big, humongous poster. I've got you a handout. I want you to, we're going to look at that and refer to that. The Emmanuel effect takes us to what's happening inside of our brain. Jesus talks about the brain all the time. I have a master's in marriage family therapy, and I'm blessed to be able to have quite a bit of training and experience in 27 years of ministry with difficult people. I worked as a college student at Rivendell Psychiatric Center with emotionally disturbed children four years before I went into ministry as a college student, and I tell people that working with emotionally disturbed children who would cuss you and scream at you and claw your eyes out prepared me for ministry. <laughs> with that all being said, I can be a difficult person, right? When I think Jeanette is being difficult for me, she probably feels like I'm difficult for her, right? And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at that. The Bible talks a lot about, the scriptures talk about, especially in the New Testament, we see this clarity of this versus that, right? The flesh versus the spirit. Some Christians have taken the perspective that the flesh is just your body and that your body's just evil and bad and you just don't need to do anything that's fun. <laughs> if you have a really good time, you probably should go home and repent because it was probably sinful, right? Well, actually... When Jesus talks about the flesh and the spirit, and when Paul talks about the flesh and the spirit, there's a conflict going on in his mind, in his brain, right? And so now this is my theory, and it's supported by others, but there are other people who would maybe see this differently. But what I'm going to show you today is that in my perspective of study, that the spirit of God can enlighten us and help us to transcend our fear brain and our survival brain. That when Jesus and when Paul talk about the flesh, they're talking about that we have this automatic, automatic, unintentional instinct to survive. And that in and of itself is the fallenness of the world. That in our fear brain, we have to, what, what happened in the garden? You're good. They didn't fear. They weren't ashamed, right? There's, there was no reason to have a, a fear brain, right? They were just happy kids hopping around, running around naked, and they were having fun, right? They didn't have shame. We have shame. We not only have shame, but we put shame on other people, right? And the reason we do that is because we're all trying to survive, and we're trying to help our people survive. So we shame our kids. Well, you shouldn't do that. You're bad. God's not happy with you, right? Because we're just trying to help them to stay alive, and we want them to survive, and we want them to survive eternally, right, and go to heaven, right? And so we get caught up in living out of fear, and Jesus is constantly saying, fear not, fear not, fear not. So what happens in the process 
of your fleshly brain. So we're not going to get real technical here. Uh, this is a real, like if you're uh, you know, a psychologist or a neurologist, right, Jenna, if you're a neurologist, you might go, wow, that guy's not very deep when it comes to his brain science. I just want you to get the gist of this big idea. You have down in the middle of your brain, this fleshly part of your brain, what I believe is what Scripture talks about is the flesh, your fleshly nature. It's the appetite of the gut. You know, people say, oh, just trust your gut. Mm. Give your gut a little check-in with God, right? And maybe your gut's right, right? Like, for example, uh, if you were bit by a little dog when you were small, you may be afraid of what? Dogs. But do all dogs bite? No, right? If you were abused or molested by someone who should have been a safe person for you, are you going to have trust issues with people? You will. And you don't have to try to do that. You remember growing up and you would, you would feel something and you'd say, wow, I, I'm feeling like I want to punch my sister in the face, right? Or I want to punch my little brother. I want to pull her hair, right? What we would say in, our, in the old culture of command and fear is, well, you better not do that or you'll get a spanking. Don't you hit her, I'll hit you, right? <laughs> and instead of saying, tell me what's happening for you that you want to hit your sister. What's underneath that feeling? Or we would say, stop it. Stop it right now. Stop feeling like that, right? So we would shut people down. We'd shut our children down. We shut our spouse down. Stop feeling that way. Oh, you're feeling sad? Well, stop it. We have a real hard time sitting with people in grief because it makes us uncomfortable. Well, why does it make us uncomfortable? Because it's scary for us. Because we don't have power to make it better. It's not because we're bad people. You can love Jesus 110%. You can submit your life to the Lord 110%. But your fear brain is going to say, uh-oh, that person looks uncomfortable, so I need to make that better. And if I can't make that better, then I feel really overwhelmed. And I say, oh, well, you know, let's go have coffee. You know, let's go have a beer. Let's, go. In other words, let's run away from this together. Let me help you get away from this feeling. Have you ever been with someone that's really uncomfortable? And you'll say, um, so, you know, how, how about those Diamondbacks? Right? How about those Dodgers? In other words, let's think about something different. Rather than me show up and say, wow, what's, what's that like for you? Tell me more about that. And I'm going to give you in the handout a lot of really specific language. You've heard some incredible material this week out of the gospel and through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen? Wonderful, beautiful things. This class is meat and potatoes. You're going to feel like when you leave that you've got a, water, a, a, a fire hose sprayed out of information because I'm going to give you lots and lots of detailed data to help you to, to implement these big ideas, right? Because don't you sometimes go home from things like this and you're like, wow, that is all so amazing and cool. I just need to let the Spirit reign in my life. But how do I do that? How does that look? You know, how do I wake up in the morning to do that? And you've heard some other really good uh, guidance on that. So the flesh part of our brain, the job of this, God designed our brain this way. When we went out of the garden and we went out into the fallenness of the world, God gave us a brain that could survive in the world. There is a reason that if you're wandering through the woods and you see a grizzly bear, 
you will probably, Amanda, not walk up to that grizzly bear and just start to pet the grizzly bear, right? Now, the reason you probably don't do that is because you had a great, 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 great grandpa who did that, and he didn't make it, right? And so your DNA in your brain, your genetic makeup has coded you to be scared of certain things without even being taught to be scared. There's certain things that you're just like, oh, certain smells that you may have been taught or you may just sort of feel like, oh, that doesn't seem normal. If it's different, it's scary and you can't help it. Bigotry, prejudice, it's in your brain. We're all prejudiced. Doesn't mean you're racially prejudiced. Doesn't mean you're racially bigoted. Doesn't mean that you intentionally don't like people who have a lot of money or people who don't have money. If they're different from you, your lower survival brain is going to say, danger, Will Robinson. Danger, Will Robinson. Because different is scary to your survival brain. The reason that we have to get that first is if you don't understand that your teenagers, that your parents, that the, that the senior members of your church have a, are scared of things that your 20-year-olds are not scared of. But guess what? Your 20-year-olds are scared of things that your senior members are not scared of. So we have to be able to have the dialogue of, wow, what's that like for you when someone claps their hands in church? What's that like for you to know that the youth minister played the guitar at the youth devotional? What's that like for you? Because if we just go intellectual and we just go, oh, well, you know, it's not against the Bible, so you're wrong. What we do is we alienate that person, and then they become more difficult than they were before. If you have someone in your life, whether it's church life or whether it's your family life, they are asking inside of their automatic brain these three questions. What's happening? What's next? And what's my plan? And we want to change that by the power of God through the Holy Spirit to ask the three questions. What's happening? What's next? And what's my plan? Out of my higher brain and out of my spirit, out of my soul. We want to have a, a divine experience with God about those three questions. In other words, when Amanda goes out in the forest and she sees the grizzly bear... Her automatic brain says, what's happening? That looks like a scary thing, even if she doesn't know what it is. What's next? Um, I probably should not go over there. Well, what's my plan? I'm going to either freeze or I'm going to run away or I'm going to go shoot it or I'm going to kill the bear, whatever. We go into fight, flight, or freeze, right? Your brain does that automatically, 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 instinctually. It's not your fault that you feel your emotions, okay? It's not your fault. Paul said, my flesh lusts against my spirit, and my spirit lusts against, or there's this conflict, right? Jesus said to his disciples, stay with me while I go over there and pray. Stay with me while I go over there. Just pray for me. Stay awake. Stay alert. But pray. In other words, go to God and get God to help you because I'm going to go over here and ask God to help me. If God helped Jesus to reframe his brain in the midst of the greatest tragic moment of his life, do you think that you need to turn to God and God can help your brain change? Right? Jesus prayed to God and the Spirit of God 
would help Jesus work through his human body's thoughts, his human body's impulses. Guess what Jesus had? He had what? A survival brain. He had a survival brain. He was human, just like you and me. Well, he couldn't be just like you and me and not have a survival brain. But Jesus also had what? He had a higher prefrontal cortex, a higher brain, where he could slow down his fear brain. He could check in with the spirit and say, God, I need you to help me right now because I'm really not wanting to go through this. I don't want to be sin on a cross, right? This is not the path I want, but if it's your will, then let it be. But he needed to turn to God and change the way he was thinking about what was happening around him. So Jesus would ask these questions in his lower brain. What's happening? What's next? And what's my plan? This is your automatic self. 20 times faster than your lower brain. So when your kid, if you've got a teenager and they're like freaking out because they don't know what to wear to school, and you're like, who cares? Get over it. It's just clothes. See, we get to be 30 years old, 50 years old, and, and we've learned, eh, maybe I shouldn't care so much. But when your child is walking into a culture that values, you know, what you wear, what it looks like, does, is it appropriate? Does it appropriate to the culture and the community? They're scared. Their survival brain saying, I don't know if I'm gonna survive in this place. And so we need to be able to go, what's it like for you? What's it like for you right now? You seem really overwhelmed. See, you want to teach your children, you want to teach your church members, you wanna teach yourself that the lower brain is happening to you. You don't have to wake up in the morning and go, hmm, I probably need to spend some time in prayer so I'll be really scared and overwhelmed today. Right? You don't have to do that. Scary happens to you. And here's another thing. People think, well, I don't really get scared, Steve. I'm just angry. Difficult people just make me angry. Right? Hmm. Guess what anger is? Anger is a secondary emotion. Guess what the primary emotion is? Fear. Yeah. Everything that happens in your life, basically, this is an oversummarization, but basically everything that happens in your life can be broken down to, are you living out of peace, out of the divine peace of God? Blessed are those who mourn and grieve, right? Blessed are those who, who uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness. How can you be blessed that sounds like i got to be happy all the time. That's not what the word blessed means. The word means divinely satisfied. It means God satisfies you. It means the Spirit satisfies you. Which doesn't mean that you should just get over having these feelings. But we have guilted people in the church. Oh, so you're still feeling like you want to go back and have that drink. You're still feeling like you want to go back to pornography. You're having that feeling. Well, stop it. Right? That feeling is coded into their memory bank in their brain. But that doesn't mean they have to what? Do it. So if we want to stop doing things, we have to start thinking different. And the way we stop change our thinking is by going to the Holy Spirit and reframing these questions. So what is the difference? And when I get triggered by life and I go, ouch, that's scary, that hurts, my brain works 20 times faster in my lower brain than my higher brain. Let's go to this story. You remember this movie? Wilson. By the way, if, 
I'm, I'm, I'm pointing at a chart, and all this, I'm videoing this, and it'll be on my website, stephentyree.com, so you can tell people they can watch it, so they can see the visuals. But I'm holding this Wilson volleyball, and this is my remake. This is not from the movie. That'd be really cool, though, wouldn't it? See, I could have told a preacher's story and said it was, right? Why was, the, why was Wilson such a big deal? Why was Wilson so important to Tom Hanks' character in the movie Castaway? He's, he's crash lands on a desert island. He's all alone. There's nobody there with him. He's by himself. He's depressed. He's scared. He doesn't know if he's going to survive. And he cuts his hand, and then he finds the volleyball, and he grabs the volleyball in anger and throws it. And later he sees the volleyball sitting on the island, and it's looking at him. And all of a sudden, out of his survival brain, he needs what? He needs a connection for his brain. He needs a relationship. He needs another companion. He needs a companion. Someone he can go, hey, what's up? How's it going today? Brian, you doing okay? Right? Of course, the ball couldn't talk back, but he was able to find a sense of comfort in that. Now, the good news is when you're stranded on a desert island, you don't have to find a volleyball to find a companion because the companion of God's Holy Spirit abides and lives in you all the time. Amen? But even though we believe that, we still struggle with wanting to see and touch that, which is why humans have struggled with idolatry for thousands and thousands of years, right? Because it's one thing to say, you know, I, I believe there's a God out there somewhere, right? Well, Jesus said, I have to leave so the Spirit can come and live in you, in you. Were you taught that growing up, that the Spirit of God abides and lives in you because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives in you, 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 he lives in you. He lives in you. If he lives in you, then you're never far away from God. Only you can be far away from him, right? Only you can be far away from him. Only you can distance yourself from God. And so what we want to do, let's, let's, let's think about this 20 times faster. Okay, take your fingers, take your index and your thumb, and I want you to just touch it. Just touch them together, like real quick, boop, like that. Ready? Boop, do that one more time. Boop, like that. Now, that is about as fast as your higher brain is, your higher brain. Boop. It takes about that much time boop, for your higher brain to think, ooh, should I do that? Boop, that's how fast it. That's how fast it is, which sounds really fast. But the survival brain is what? 20 times faster. So when you have a hard time being graceful with a difficult person, like my wife, she's really great at this when I'm difficult. You know, right, Dontree? When I'm difficult, she's really good at slowing that down. Breath. Is, there was a great class this week on breathing and prayer. Why don't you just take a deep cleansing breath? Ready? Breathe in, in, and then out. That's a that's a good deep breath. Every time you're with someone difficult, or if you find yourself being difficult, take that cleansing breath. And here's what I'd encourage you to say. And you just come up with whatever you want to say. But what I try to say for me is, I need to, I, see, I breathe in. And I think to myself, God, decrease, decrease my fear. And then I breathe out. 
And then I breathe again and again in. God, increase my faith. Increase my faith. You see, peace comes from faith. And if I don't have peace, if I don't have peace, <laughs> I'm holding up a peace sign for people who can't see this. Peace on a stick. Peace on a, it's a peace sign on a stick. If I don't have peace, I cannot help you regulate and find peace if you're difficult for me. So I have to get regulated. I have to be calm in the spirit. And I have to turn to the spirit to get calm in the spirit, right? And so Jesus is, you know, out on the boat, and the boat is in this stormy sea, and the waves are crashing against the, sh the, 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 the ship, and they say, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. It's really bad out here. And he says what? You are afraid because you lack faith. You see, Jesus in that narrative is saying, when you're overwhelmed and you're scared to death, your survival brain is doing its job. But you don't have to be so overwhelmed because God is in the boat with you. See, this is an attachment thing. So let's go back to the Wilson ball. So I'm not going to get into all the attachment research, but study, read if on your own about this. John Bowlby, great researcher on attachment with children. If you have an adopted child and you adopted them at four years old, they may have a really hard time trusting you. And you think, well, I don't understand this. I love them. I teach them. I care for them. I feed them. I've done everything I possibly can do. But they still don't trust me. Yeah. That's their survival brain. Because they have an attachment injury because they were neglected and left alone and maybe not fed or not nurtured by their original birth parent. Right? It's not that you're doing anything bad. It's that they, in their fear brain, their survival brain. See, we have people come to our churches and into our families, and they're coded in their fear brain to not trust. Well, I don't know if I can even believe in God. How can I trust in a holy father? My father abused me, right? How can I trust in you? How can I trust a church? I had a preacher that molested, you know, my cousin or whatever. How do we trust when we've been hurt by people? And we're in the body of Christ, and if we say, well, you just keep coming to Bible study, and you'll get over that, right? You just keep coming to our youth and campus activities, you'll get over that. No. The only way to get over that is for the Spirit of God to be your source of power to overcome your fear brain. And then, see, when you're understanding that you have fears and you get overwhelmed, then you're a lot more compassionate with your neighbor. So we need an attachment that goes with us everywhere we go. And guess what happens to Tom Hanks' character? What happens to Wilson before he gets back to civilization? Sorry if you haven't watched the movie. He, 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 he's floating away on the raft, right? And Wilson fades off into the distance. The Spirit of God will never fade away for you. The Spirit of God will always be available for you. God's not going anywhere. Jesus said, just seek, and what? You'll find. Just knock, and the what? The door will be open. All right, so we're going to do some, some inter, in, inter, interactional stuff. So, Andrew, come up here, and Doctor, come up here. Help me out here, please. So, I've got two people coming up on the stage to help me. We're going to do some visuals because it's really helpful to take this stuff home and keep it in our head. Okay, so... We've got, uh, 
We've got little uh, pointy fingers. So you all step out in front of the... So I've got... I've got to remember to tell. I'm speaking to people, not here. Um, I have a stepping stools here for both Daltrey and Andrew. And I've also got these little pointy fingers. They're like for ball teams where you say, we're number one, we're number one. Now, guess what? They have two different what? Two different teams. They don't have the same perspective. So this is really not about the Gators or the, the Knicks. It's not about that. It's about whatever you think, you know, whatever you're cheering for, whatever you think's the thing to do, what's the right thing, what's the right perspective. And what we do is when we think we're right, we what? We, we poke the other person, right? And so when Daltrey pokes Andrew, then Andrew pokes Daltrey, right? This is a normal thing. The survival brain, if you poke me, I'm going to want to poke you back, right? So we're going to talk about words we use at the end, how we maneuver through that in a safe place. So what happens is, okay, now let's get in front of the steps. One of you on one side and can't both be on the same one. Okay, that's good. Now, so just, so Daltrey's going to poke Andrew. Now, maybe what, here, maybe I'm going to put some language to this. So maybe Daltrey says to Andrew, you know, Andrew, um, in the, my teenager told me today that you said such and such in class, and, and I just disagree with that. Okay? And so she pokes him. Now, she, does that sound hateful? That doesn't sound really mean. You know, she's just sharing her opinion, right? But Andrew might feel what inside of his fear brain? I have a parent. I feel like sad. Oh, maybe I'm not doing my job as good as I want to because somebody disagrees with what I said. So his fear brain immediately goes on alarm. This is danger. Parent, parent alert. Parent alert, right? And so his survival brain is going to want, because this person has just said, I'm right, and that makes him what? Wrong. So then, uh, Daughtry, step up on the first step. Be careful. Now, she's not intending, when, when you're this person, you're not intending to be above the other person, right? That's not your intention. You're just saying, this is what I think is true. But normally, the fear brain's going to go, oh, look, Andrew has to do what? He has to look up at this parent. So he is where? He's down, right? So then Andrew has to go up. And sometimes, well, some different things. So then Andrew's going to poke her back, and he might say, well, I disagree with you. I think the scripture says this, right? What's, what's bad about that? Nothing. But what's happening? We're against each other. We're in a contest. Now, we're going to talk about when that's appropriate in just a minute. Because that is appropriate. It's appropriate to have healthy conversations and debates. It's healthy to have healthy conflict. But we want to do it out of love and safety. We want to do it out of safety. Okay. So then Daltrey says, well, you know what? You're clearly not listening to me. And I just totally disagree. So I'm just going to go talk to the elders. Right? And so she goes up. Because she's not only appearing to him and his fear brain to be smarter, bigger, stronger. He sees her as, as dangerous because now he's, she's bringing what? She's bringing in the big guns. Bring, bring in the big guns. She's bringing in more power to win her argument. And so then, you step up one more time. So you want to be bigger. So to be bigger, that's when we get maybe a little ugly because we're really, really upset. We're really frustrated. We're really sad and we're angry. Well, you know what? You just go right ahead. I don't even care. Or he might, instead of, and that, okay, we're thinking about fight and flight. 
Fight is where we go into the argument deeper and deeper. We move up the ladder. Now, what's the other thing that happens when we get scared? If the grizzly bear, Amanda, if the grizzly bear's coming after you, you might not fight that grizzly. You might do what? Run away. And so then what happens is Andrew runs away. And he just goes, okay, fine. He withdraws. He might have withdrawn before Daughtry called out the elder card. Right. Oh, see, so now move back down. So now we're going to do this without poking. Okay? So that was the way we can poke each other. Now let me make this clear again. You can poke me, and I will feel overwhelmed, and you have no idea you poked me. This happens to me still to this day. I'll say something very, um, you know, cerebral, like, oh, ABC, Jenna, ABC. And Jenna be like, oh, my gosh, he just told me ABC. And I was thinking EFG, right? So she's feeling less than, and I had no intentions to make her feel less than. And so unless I'm sensitive and able to go, wait a minute, what's happening for you? Right, and checking in with her. But if she runs away... I may think, well, she doesn't want to talk to me. So then we disengage. Or we fight and we argue and we have those big outward debates. Okay, so this time, here's what we're going to do. So Daughtry is a parent with the youth minister. So Daughtry uh, comes up to um, Andrew and she says, Andrew, I just want you to know how important you are to God's work at this church. Is that different? All right, so what happens? There's no need for hierarchy because she has moved to him. They just hugged, for those of you who can't see. So, because if she comes and says, wow, you're really important to the church, you really matter to me, then he's going to feel what? Safer with her. And then Andrew might say, wow, I really appreciate that. And then she could say, now, can I let you know something that's really overwhelming me. So then she's vulnerable. She's not being higher. She's being equal. She's saying, I'm kind of feeling overwhelmed that, that you think this in the Bible, and I'm thinking this in the Bible, right? In other words, she says, you're important to me. You matter to me. We're safe. Now, can I tell you how I'm feeling about the fact that you played the guitar during the youth service or something like that, Right? There's love in that. And then he could say, oh, wow, I want to hear more about that. Because she isn't dangerous to his survival brain. Humans do not, generally speaking, we are not aware of how 20 times faster our survival brain is. Do we get that? You need to think about that constantly all the time. When you go into Starbucks and you, you want to walk in and get a cup of coffee over here and the line is coming out the door, I don't know about you, but I immediately think, who owns this place? I should be at the front of the line, right? Because I need the coffee now, right? I'm thinking about me. And that's your survival brain. You are automatically selfish, self-seeking, and self-survival as a being. But that is the fallen state of our humanity. Your body isn't sinful. You don't have sinful hands and sinful skin and sinful eyes. Your body isn't sinful, your fear brain is the enemy of your higher brain to connect and hear God and to slow down and to pray and to be with God. Your survival brain is the fleshly 
struggle we have. Now, let's get out our peace signs. So, so when Daughtry walks up to Andrew, the youth minister, and no, let's give that to her. So when Daughtry comes to him and she's regulated and she's calm, not because she's smart enough, strong enough, and beautiful enough, right? It's because she went to God first. And she said, God, increase my faith and decrease my fear. Because I'm feeling overwhelmed with my youth minister doing something, and I want to check in with him. But I, want, I don't want to go to him in fear. Remember when Jesus sent his disciples out to do evangelism and go into the world? He said, go out and engage with people, meet those people, go to their house, go to their house and offer them your peace. And if they reject your peace, knock the dust off your feet and move on to the next one, Right? You are not equipped to offer something you don't have. You must have peace within you, regulation through the Holy Spirit, to be able to move to another person and say, hey, can I talk to you about something really important to me? If I go to you, I'm going to be difficult to you, and then you're going to be difficult to me, and then we're difficult and difficult and difficult, and it creates splits in the church, it creates splits in marriages, it creates splits in relationships. So Daltrey has to have peace before she can offer peace to Andrew. Okay, so offer him peace. Now, what if, as Jesus says, what if you go to someone and they reject your peace? So just say, no, thank you. Yeah. So then Jesus says, that's okay, because we don't need to be codependent right? It's not our job to make people happy. It's not our job to make people okay. It's not our job to make people agree with us. That's not our job. Our job is just to have peace through the Holy Spirit and offer peace. Have peace and offer peace. But you and I have spent time in our life trying to offer peace to people when we do not have what? We don't have peace, right? Good job. Excellent. All right, so we're going to have some questions here in just a few minutes. Uh, let's see. Well, yeah, that's, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. So what we're basically trying to do is, oh, here, Doctor, will you help me with this? Because I can't do this and hold the microphone. So I have here, let's turn that around that way. So basically what we're doing is every day when you wake up, this visual is a frame. And when I have this frame, I have like a peephole. It's the size of a quarter, right? Now, this is an example of how limited my vision is out of my fear brain. Okay, this is how we tend to see life. It's very narrow. It's very obscure to what the real big picture is, right? So I'm seeing things through fear. Now, if I turn to God and say, God, I need your Holy Spirit to, to anoint me. I need your Holy Spirit to just give me life and to give me courage, to give me strength. Father, increase my faith and decrease my fear. Then I can change. Oops. Technical difficulties. Oh, here it is. There we go. So then I can see how. I see clearly. But when we wake up every morning, our fear brain is 20 times faster than our higher brain. See how much I can see? I can see clearly, and I can see through peace through the Holy Spirit. God wants to slow us down. This requires we slow down. This requires we slow down. You will not reframe your perspective about being difficult or difficult people unless you turn to God in, a, in prayer. And that prayer can be, 
like that. Oh, God, decrease my fear. Decrease my fear. Increase my faith. Now, you might want to spend an hour in prayer before you go talk to somebody. It may take an hour before you get the peace from God that you really are wanting. Amen? So it doesn't have to happen fast. I just want you to understand that it is really good for us to pray without ceasing, as Paul says. And if we're praying without ceasing, we're not in the woods without ceasing, sitting by a lake, right? Those are great little retreats. But we have to live life. We have to go to work. We have to be in traffic. Live in Phoenix, Arizona, Tempe, Arizona. We have a lot of traffic. I use this illustration with our church, don't I, all the time. It's like, okay, if you don't know how to get along with a coworker who's really, really annoying, don't start with them of changing your perspective. Start in traffic. Start in traffic. Because, first of all, you're not physically close to, enough to punch those people in the other car, right? There are other things you might do that you shouldn't, right? But if, if I, in traffic, can pull up behind someone and they uh, don't take off when the light turns green and the person behind me honks at me, I might feel what? Oh, that's frustrating. That person behind me is difficult. And then the person in front of me is difficult because they didn't go. So I've got difficulty and difficult people all around me because they're not doing what I want them to do when I want them to do it. And my survival brain is saying, you really should have what you want. Because if, if you get everything you want, that's the safest place to be, right? Now, again, you can, you can speak to that fear and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Settle down. I'm okay sitting in traffic another five minutes. I'm okay. But we have to come to the Spirit, and the Spirit reminds our heart, it's okay. Let's you and I hang out. Then I get five more minutes with Jesus. I get five more minutes with God. I get five more minutes with the Holy Spirit. This, uh, look at your handout, and we're going to finish up. <clears throat> you should have a, uh, the first handout is this material, and go home and read all the scriptures, Matthew 1, 23, 8, 26, 26, 41. Uh, one of the big things about attachment is this idea, and you might say, well, Steve, where does the Bible talk about attachment? Well, a, a lot. Um, the idea that God would send his son to earth to become Emmanuel, God with us, was for a reason, right? The Hebrews had, how did they get close to God? They went to the tabernacle. They went to the temple. But who got to go in all the way? The priests. And how often did the priests get to go in? Once a year. You get to be the temple. We get to be the temple. And the Spirit lives in us. This is a huge paradigm shift for religion all over the world. Jesus introduced something about human need for connection to God that no other religion has ever offered. This is not taught anywhere else on the planet. Jesus said, God wants to be with you. God wants to live among you as people and you individually. And this being among the people, Jesus says in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the wise man built his house on a rock. We have seen that. Is this a sort of cheesy little kid? The wise man built his house on the rock, right? And so we sort of just leave it at Bible school for fourth graders. Well, what is the rock? The rock is your foundation. 
The rock is upon which you stand. The rock is what you build your life on. So instead of just thinking, well, I'm going to go to the right rock by going to the right church at the right address, which is really important to me. I want to be at a church that's Bible-centered, that loves Jesus. You know what I mean? I, that's, I want that. I want that. That's a big deal to me. But just because I show up at church and hang out with Jeanette at lunch after church and and then I go home, and I'm not having an interaction with the Holy Spirit. I'm not calling on the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm not in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, I have to die and leave so I can give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. The helper is going to come and live with you. So you build your life on this foundation. The wise man builds his house on the rock, right? But what's the rock? The rock is the intentional connection to our spirit, our soul, and eternal divine truth. The sand is what? It's your automatic gut, your survival brain that bosses you around 20 times faster. Because God's not going to come and knock on your head and say, you have to do this, I'm going to make you. No. God says, all you have to do is knock. Right? All you have to do is say, come. And God's right there. Right? The wise man built his house on a rock. All right, let's look at the little, uh, the little uh, bookmark. I made that a little small so that you could put that in your Bible and take that with you. Uh, again, I'm going to post this on my website, and the information's on there. My email's on the handout if you want to email me about questions and other thoughts. And, and feel free to disagree and let me know. Um, I'm, I'm still learning, so I appreciate any input you have. Let's look at the top. The Emmanuel effect. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. God so loved us that he took on flesh and dwelt among us. God gave us his spirit to dwell in us. God is our safe and secure attachment. God gave us grace, so we give grace to difficult people. You see, I can't give peace to you and offer you peace when I come to you, especially when I disagree with you, especially when I'm upset with you because maybe you've been difficult for me. I cannot do that. Until I have and know I have God's grace. God loves me before I love God. God loves me before I love you. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Why? Because he loves the world. What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And then you will love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you don't, and the word love, this agapeo, Greek is, is an active investing energy. It's an experience. It's not a foo-foo feeling of, oh, let's hug each other. It's, I invest in God. I trust in God. I build my life on God because God is my secure base. God is my foundation. And so I may trust, adultery may be my secure attachment on most days, right? But what if she's having a bad day? What if my kids are having a bad day and my wife's having a bad day and my church is having a bad day and we're all having a bad day on the same day? That never happens, right? Of course it happens, right? God gave us grace, so we give grace to difficult people. And remember, 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 when you think you're with a difficult person, they are probably thinking what? That you are difficult for them. That's right. Now, the little last section, these are the words that I hope you can use that help you. I give this to my clients as a counselor, as a therapist, and I hope that you'll find this as helpful. So basically, there are safe things to say to people, and there are unsafe things 
to say to people. When you get back to the ladder and the idea of being up, there are some things that are unsafe. And I may not mean it to be hateful or ugly, but people will tend to feel that I'm doing this when I say it. See, unsafe is when I'm moving up on the ladder and I'm looking down at you, even though I don't mean to do that. I don't have to mean to do that, right? Let's look at unsafe at the bottom. When I say to you, well, you're wrong. I've done more study about that. I've studied this for 20 years, and you're wrong, right? If I told you you're wrong, boom, you're going to feel what? Less than. Even though inside yourself you're like, oh, you're not wrong. I'm right. But you're still feeling defensive. Every time you feel defensive, you're defensive because you feel in danger, right? If you feel safe, you're not going to feel defensive. You're going to be like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I disagree, but hey, whatever. See, if you're not feeling less than, you're not going to be angry. The reason you're angry is because you're scared you're wrong. You're angry because you're scared you're wrong. Even though you've studied it for 20 years too, and you may be right, right? Or maybe you're both right. So when I say you're wrong, I'm moving up the ladder and you're going to tend to feel down. Well, what's wrong with you? Now, we say this sometimes. There's two different ways to say this. I can say, well, Jenna, what is wrong with you, right? Which sounds condescending, right? But I also can say, well, what's wrong with you? And I mean it to be very tender. But guess what that word wrong says to my fear brain? Oh, something's wrong with me? But see, you're not thinking that when you say it. And I've said it. I've said it, haven't I, honey? <laughs> Don't you what's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. Why do you say something's wrong with me? Do I look like something's wrong with me? Right? Whoa, slow down the train, sister. Didn't mean it like that. Other unsafe statements. Oh, it's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. We say that because we don't like sitting with them in their discomfort. And that's an avoidant response to our fear. Ooh, I feel really uncomfortable. Um, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. Just let it go. Don't worry about it. Right? We also can say that in a condescending way, which is, um, oh, you think playing the guitar is a big deal? Pfft, that's not that big a deal. That's not a statement of love. We want to say, wow, tell me, tell me what that's like for you. I want to hear what that's like for you. Because See, then it's like, I love you. I care about you. Doesn't mean I agree. Doesn't mean I agree. Here's the thing. This is not about agreeing and disagreeing. This is about love. It's about showing up with grace and peace and love. And you won't do that unless the Spirit gives you that grace and peace and love. Because that's where it comes from. Grace, peace, and love does not come from your survival brain. It doesn't. It's not scientific, nor is it theologically true. Uh, you always and you never. Oh, well, that Ryan, he's always doing that. He always says that. Oh, he never does this, right? That's very black and white thinking, and it comes out of dysregulation and fear, right? Instead of us going, you know, what's happening right now? It's really hard for me to, to sit with you because of what's happening. I'm feeling really overwhelmed. And see, I'm talking about me instead of talking about Ryan, I'm talking about what's happening for me. I don't, I'm not at peace right now. I'm having a real hard time. The next one is um, assuming and presuming. Now, this doesn't encourage difficult people to be difficult, does it? Oh, well, I know what she thinks. I already know what she thinks. I know exactly what she's going to say. I already know what he's going to do. 
right? We do that. We do that because we have had maybe interactions with them before, and we presume this is going to be the way it was before. You know, give them grace. Give them grace. Maybe, maybe it's different. The other thing is, is we avoid, and avoidance, assuming, presuming, are all avoidant responses. And then sarcasm. Oh, we love to joke, right? Oh, man, you preachers, you so work one hour a week. You got it made. Kenneth, Kenneth just works two hours a week. Uh, Well, why is that joke so popular? Because people who work in their secular jobs 50, 60 hours a week, and they see their preacher go to coffee with them and and be like, yeah, I got plenty of time. Sure. Let's, Let's hang out another hour. They're thinking what? What do you really do all week? You just read the Bible, right? So that sarcasm has some truth in it. There's a little discomfort of, wow, and I actually had a guy one time say, well, I wish I got paid to just hang out with people. I said, well, go to school and get a degree in Bible and become a preacher. Woohoo! go for it. You know, go for it. Had a teenager one time. We were sitting at Old Charlie's, and uh, he looked at me and said, are you getting paid right now to eat lunch with us? I said, yeah, and the church is paying for my lunch. <laughs> and then I said, you should be a youth minister. Go into ministry. So we joke with each other. We pick at each other. We try to fix. We try to parent. We try to boss. And, and people say, oh, no, I don't try to boss people. Because we don't try. We just do. We criticize. <laughs> Why did you do that? It's condescending, right? Why did you do that? Okay, let's go to the, the, the safe ones. So if you don't know what to say, just say, Tell me what's happening for you right now. Tell me what's happening for you right now. Because what that does is that takes the pressure off of you. You don't have to respond. Let's say they come up to you and they got their finger out there. They're just telling you how it is. And then you're feeling really overwhelmed. And so maybe at that moment, you've got to get some peace. And so you might say, tell me what's happening for you. And then in that space, you do what? God. May your Holy Spirit anoint me with peace right now because I'm feeling really overwhelmed. And you take a little moment to breathe and to pray. And God can help you regulate while they're saying what's happening for them. And if you're not able to listen, then you say, tell me more about that. Because <laughs> you may not have really been listening because you're reframing your brain, right? But that's still safer in your relationship, right? And then, and then they'll be able to tell you again. So we say, what's happening for you right now? Well, I'm just really upset with you. I'm really angry. Okay, well, tell me more about that. The more you say, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more, that person who seems difficult is going to feel safer with you. That's what will happen. Now, yes, once in a rarity, there, there are people who may be on drugs. I'm just cutting to the chase. They may have a psychological problem and they not be, may not be taking their meds. In other words, every now and then there's someone that will not de-escalate, okay? And I just got to throw that out there because that's reality. But that's rare. That's rare. Most people don't feel safe and that's why they're so defensive and so angry. 
what I hear you saying, and that's why we do have to listen, because we need to reflect it back. Oh, okay, what I'm hearing you saying is, is that when the youth minister did that, or when the preacher did that, or when your wife said that, or when your husband said that, that, that you, you, you felt really angry at them. That's really hard. I bet that's really hard for you. See, you're not agreeing with their data, right? You're not agreeing with what they think. You're not agreeing with their argument. You're agreeing with their emotions because you have empathy for them because you have a fear brain just like they do. Wow, that must be really hard for you that, that the youth minister plays the guitar and the youth thing. Wow, tell me what that's like for you. Even though you, it doesn't bother you, but you show up for them. This is what the church and families and the world needs. We need to do more of this. And then uh, another thing is just we tend to think, especially those of us, you're here because you're educated, smart people, and you want to know the answers, right? One of the problems with being smart people who want to know the answers is we think we have to always give them the answer right there on the spot. You don't have to do that. You can say, hey, wow, that's really big and important to you. So let's pray about that. Let's get together and have coffee and talk about that some more. Do not let difficult people force you into a conversation that you do not have the peace to communicate out of, okay? And last, thank you for sharing this with me. Let them know that you honor that. Wow, I hear you disagree with me. I hear that you're kind of upset about that, and let's, let's pray about that. And, you know, thank you. Thank you for letting me know. Um, our church has been through a lot in eight years, We've added instruments, and we have uh, equal gender roles in our church. And we got to that place through a lot of patience and a lot of love and a lot of grace. The only way we got there was because God gave us the grace to sit with people who felt scared and felt overwhelmed. And if your church is going through any kind of change, if your family is going through any kind of change, expect fear. It's not a question of if it will happen. The question is, is when will it happen? And will they trust you and feel safe to come to you and be honest about their fear? God bless you guys for being here. Email me if you have other thoughts and things, and we've got to wrap up. Have a blessed day. Thanks.